Welcome to Mother Food, a podcast dedicated to mothers who turn the traditional role of feeding into professional success. I'm your host, Elisa Timoshkina, event planner, supper club host, cook, food writer and first-time mama. In this podcast, we will meet women who forged inspiring careers in food while also embracing life as mothers. We cover topics from life-work balance and self-nurture to pregnancy diets, breastfeeding, baby weaning, family meal planning and a lot more. No matter where you are on your journey now, you will find support, advice, inspiration and a community here. Mother Food is a space for heartfelt discussions filled with recipes, food memories, practical tips and honest insights into the lives of modern mothers. Today I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Pinkums. She will be known to many of the foodies out there as the champion of MasterChef. I'm sure many of us have watched that season and cheered for Ping because her character, um, her passion for food and her absolute genius talent for whipping up the most incredible nourishing bowls of something amazing is really, really outstanding. Um, so I was a big fan of her work and it's been a real thrill to invite her to come on the show. And of course, Ping was the very vibrant, dynamic and charming woman that I knew from the MasterChef series. Her passion for food and her heritage is really intoxicating. Um, it's beautiful the way she speaks about her mom and to see that powerful connection between different generations of women in her family. And I particularly liked talking to Ping about the fascinating postpartum culture in China and East Asia. There's so much wonderful insight, innate wisdom, and also really delicious food that I think us folk in the West should really incorporate into our postpartum culture. But I was most moved by Ping's honesty and the way she talked about the challenges of running a career in food and being a mother. Her second child, Luna, was an unplanned pregnancy. And as Ping movingly spoke about it, it's clear that it has created a loss of questions and a loss of doubt about her career and about her path in life. And this is something that has really resonated with me. And it's been really beautiful to see that despite the challenges and the difficulties, Ping manages to reinvent herself while staying true to her passion for food. So her story was another beautiful reminder to myself to not get hooked on this idea of timing, the good timing, the bad timing, and just realize that timing is there for you. It is the only time that you have and how it's actually really healthy to move past the binary understanding of time. And that if you do have a genuine passion, a genuine vision, and a genuine interest in something, time is there to support you. I have to say, as women, we really are amazing at adapting to change, embracing change, and making the most of what we have at any given moment. Hi Ping, welcome to Mother Food. I'm really excited to have you on my podcast because um, I'm sure as many of our listeners, um, I came across you through MasterChef and I was such a big fan from the start. <laughs> and I particularly um, loved and was so moved by the meal that you prepared for the final, you know, the big finale. And 
the thing that moved me the most was that it was such a simple meal and the way you spoke about your mother and the childhood food. And I think that's what moved the judges as well. So I wanted to start, kind of use that as a starting point and ask you to tell us a bit about your own mom and the childhood that she created for you and what role food played. Um, so I um, am very lucky um, because I grew up in a household where um, food takes a center stage because my mom is a really good cook. It's really funny, actually. My mom has um, four other siblings. So she's the youngest of five, uh, four sisters and one um, uh, brother. So the brother is the eldest. She's the youngest of five. And none of them uh, has much culinary skills. And, and she's the only one who actually keen to learn from my grandmother, who, whom I never met. But was told that was a superb cook. And my mom would, uh, um, she told me the story, she would um, stand beside her and just learn, you know, all the other skills, all the things that people don't want to do, you know, pluck feathers and um, wash up houses and, you know, all the dirty jobs that none of her siblings want to do. But in that way, she learned a lot from her own mother and she's the only one out of five siblings who did. So we kind of luck out because my mom wanted to learn. And growing up, she's the cook of our family, uh, along with my grandmother, who's uh, my dad's mom. She lived with us. So um, my dad is the only uh, son out of five siblings as well. So traditionally in Chinese uh, culture, the uh, son has the mother lived with us, um, live with the family. So my both my grandmother and my mother were really good cooks, but of different regions, they have different influences. So growing up in that household, we always have great food. Um, I remember distinctly, you know, waking up in the morning and wake, woken up, our house is really small, so the kitchen and the bedrooms are not that far from each other. Distinctly waking up to um, sounds of chopper, you know, like a chopper on the chopping board, like like that, like that. And my mom would get up, or my and my grandmother when she feels like it. When when she was already in her eighties then, and they would. Uh, my mom would prepare the meal for lunch or, or dinner or prep the stuff, marinating it for dinner so that she goes to work. And when she comes back, she somehow miraculously produced this meal that is like in half an hour or whatever it is. Um, so it's kind of like a daily occurrence that this happens. We just come to accept it. That is kind of like, you know, that what we used to, not until that now that I'm cooking for my family, I thought, how did she ever do that with working, looking after my grandmother and us? And sometimes she also take meals to my grandmother, her dad who lives uh, uh, in another house, take meals for him as well, and then have a full-time job and then come back and cook an amazing meal. I still don't know how she does that, to be honest. It's incredible, yes. <laughs> My grandmother was at home looking after us and taking us to nursery or schools. We had school buses when we, uh, when we grew up. But I don't remember having to make a meal or she allows me into the kitchen because she is so fat at doing. Now when I cook, I'm sure you know, when you're trying to cook with your little one or trying to show even a little bit of things, it takes so much longer. Uh, when you're trying to make a quick meal or whatever, a dish that takes me... 15 minutes can take me an hour because you you have to show them what to do and you need to have the patience so that they could learn for yeah. me growing up was all about you know kind of centers around my mom cooking and, and i never understood why when she has a, a public holiday or thing she would still be cooking i was like mom why are you cooking why can't we go out to eat she's like oh, no 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 i'll, I'll beat something and now i understand as a cook as someone who wants to learn new skills that's when you have your relaxed cooking you don't have to like produce a meal you just want to cook for fun yeah yeah it's cooking for pleasure yeah that's a real passion isn't it when you use your free time actually to cook yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. that's amazing but i think i've read somewhere that um you weren't really into cooking until you were a bit older and when you moved 
here to the UK, that was the moment when you realized how much, how amazing your mom's food was and how much you missed it. And that's what inspired you to start cooking. Well, when, when I moved here at the age of 21, um, I first came to the UK at 20 and then I went back to Malaysia and come back again on 21 to start my, to start my university. Um, up until that point, like I, my mom has always been the main cook in the family. And, you know, she, um, not to say that she doesn't want to teach us, is that life is so busy and she just want to get things done. So sometimes mm. you don't have the time to, to show someone. or And Malaysian, uh, a lot of Malaysian who probably, yeah. uh, probably relate to the fact that parents of, of Asian um descent they are, have no patience in in teaching they and when they teach they don't go oh uh take put one teaspoon here or put it like that you know and i could be talking to my mom and then the ingredients would change and then she would because <laughs> she'll put anything she likes in there and everything's done by eye done by feel done by taste so she couldn't tell you how much she's put in there to her, it's right. She can't articulate it. Oh, you put like one tablespoon or 100 grams or whatever it is. Um, everything is by guesswork. In that way, you, you cook kind of, you know, it's not helpful for beginners, but if you have the perseverance and um, the instinct, you could cook by instinct, by feel, you know. She take one look at a dish, she goes, yep, it's burnt. She never really teaches me cooking. So I observe what she does, but she never really sit down and go like, that's how you do things and da, da, da. It, it wasn't actually until I won MasterChef that I actually learned more than I did before. So I guess the love of good food comes from her and the inspired by her, but not like unlike like Alexa with me that I'm teaching her specific skill. Uh, I more like observe. But when I moved here, I had to survive. I mean, when I moved here, actually, the first dishes I learned to cook, I didn't know how to boil an egg at the age of 21. And that's pretty terrible. I, I still mean, don't. <laughs> I really struggle with boiling eggs for some reason. <laughs> I never get them right. But yeah, I know what you mean. That. You know what I mean? It's like when someone tells me now, if, if Alexa doesn't know how to boil an egg by the age of 21, I'll be mortified. But then there I was at the age of 21, has no idea how to boil eggs, but I can actually make a banging instant noodles. I mean, all, all <laughs> eggs will tell you, we could pimp up an instant noodles like nobody's business, but, um, but can't boil an egg to save a life. <laughs> and, so I decided my first thing to cook, because the thing is that when you are growing up in a household with amazing food, it becomes the norm. You, you, not even a household, just a household. I grew up in a country which is a melting pot of uh, spices and, and, and uh, crossed fusion-y food of so many cultures. I mean, it's a norm for us. Good food is a norm for us. However, McDonald's, anything that is foreign becomes exotic. Um, so my first thing that I learned wasn't about Malaysian cooking or what my mom does for her. The thing that I learned to cook was something far removed from that. The first thing I cooked from uni was a wrapped chicken leg, uh, a chicken leg that I wrapped in bacon because I've seen it somewhere on telly and always wanted to do that. And it's so far removed from what I'm used to. And I remember wrapping it, putting under the grill, invite my uh, housemate then that I want to make friends with to dinner I put the leg stone cold out of a pack with no seasoning or whatever wrapped it with some bacon put it under the grill and high whack it in high heat and burn the top maybe about <laughs> 10 minutes I think I didn't even turn it round I just put it there whack it 10 minutes and consider it done so he was eating it and not until he reached like kind of like a quarter into it and it was still pink oh gosh uh, that I thought, okay, I need to like do better than this. So I think I spent the last, you know, the years in university trying to cook simple uh, uh, meals like pasta, like everybody else. And then slowly, then I crave Asian food because nowadays we have so many different regions in London, so many different things around. Uh, I went to university in Oxford. So then it wasn't that many 
Chinese or Asian uh, restaurants around. So I crave it. So I started experimenting with Malaysian flavors and it took me quite a few goes, but then it's kind of out of desperation rather than need. Well, I, I guess it's need and desperation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh, I must learn something new because it's my heritage. It's more like I really crave it. If I don't make it, if I don't learn to, 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 to make it, I will never be able to have that dish. I, I, didn't, I wasn't living in London, so it wasn't as easy to get then. So it kind of started from there. It snowballs, and I guess the blood that runs through me, you know, kind of like my mum's heritage and her love for cooking kind of runs inside me. I just didn't know how to bring it out until that desperation kind of fools me mm-hmm. to learn to experiment and to bring out that side in me. Um, yeah. And when MasterChef happens, I was cooking at home. I remember so excited living in my own room with then boyfriend, now husband that I'm so excited able to actually have my own kitchen and try to experiment stuff. It was a sheer excitement of cooking. And now I still have that excitement of cooking something new, learning new skills. Um, and it wasn't until MasterChef happens that, that it really, really, really ignites that, that, that passion. Mm, and, yeah. and thought, actually, I can make a career out of this. And that is quite something for me. And I have MasterChef to thank for that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that it launched my career, but most importantly, it launched the burning kind of passion that is probably lying dormant uh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you definitely must have absorbed all of that beautiful energy from your house. You know, the way you described waking up to the sounds of chopping and, you know, the boiling pots, all of that, you know, just needed a platform for it to express itself. One of the things that actually brings out was actually it, it bonds with my mother even more. When I won MasterChef, she then suddenly thought, oh my gosh, she can cook. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, she can cook. So she would um, call me up and say, oh, I've seen this recipe and I think you can do it different ways or you, can't, you can do this. And we, we sometimes stay on the phone and discuss what could be done better. So, or what I could do with different ingredients of how to actually just something up you know and I enjoy that bonding the conversation that we've never had before Master Chef. it was really sweet that's wonderful that's something definitely that I share with my mum the amount of time we spend talking about recipes we have a you know whatsapp chat and half of it is definitely all recipes and pictures of things we cook so it's lovely to have that extra bonding element did becoming a mother um, was another part of like connecting to your mom? Was that another kind of extra insight into her life for you? Yes, like I mentioned before, I didn't know how she did half the things she did. <laughs> she mm. And there you are doing so many amazing things <laughs> yourself. <laughs> it's just that I wanted my children to taste the food that I grew up with. So I cook them a lot of Asian food at home and any other foods, you know, fusion foods. Uh, I married to an Englishman, so quite naturally, I, I cook a lot of other foods that are not Asian as well. We had this conversation uh, yesterday with my daughters. Um, they had, uh, they love a dish called egg foil, which is very, very simple. It's basically a Chinese omelette made with eggs, seasoned with soy and a touch of sugar and onions. That's it. Uh, and my mom make different versions of that with different vegetables. And uh, my husband makes this a lot for my girls when, um, when I'm away. And I make it yesterday as well. So we had a, we had a, a conversation like, who made it better? Mommy, daddy, or Popo? She calls, she calls my mother Popo, which is a, a Chinese for grandmother. And she thought about it and she goes, hmm, Popo. Popo makes everything better. And if the work, and if Popo makes it, it's the best. Oh. <laughs> and she, and we see my mother once a year. Oh, wow. So it lasts, so, the impression lasts. <laughs> the impression of food mm-hmm. um, ingrained so deeply into a seven year old. Like even before then, Popo's soup is the best, Popo's cooking is the best. Like she sees her once a year. So her impression of Popo is, her food is amazing. 
That's incredible. Um, I'm really interested in Asian culture and kind of Asian culinary culture, specifically in relation to um, motherhood, because I've read a really interesting book written by a Chinese-American author. Um, it's called The First uh, 40 Days, and it's all about um, the traditions and the rituals around pregnancy and the postpartum days. Um, yeah, you know, how, yeah, so I'll, I would love to talk to you a bit more about that. How... Did you have, you know, did food play a big part um, in your own pregnancies and also after birth? Is there any specific uh, rituals and dishes that your mom would make or that you made for yourself? Yes. Um, confinement is um, postpartum or confinement. Um, it's a, a period where um, in Asia, uh, uh, Chinese, I think, was um, by, by and large, although other Asian cultures practice it as well. It's a ritual, uh, it is, a, is a period where after the lady um, give birth, uh, gives birth, uh, you have to stay indoors um, and, perform, and eat a certain foods and perform mm. certain ritual, like not washing your hair uh, for a month. Oh dear. Uh, in Asia, still... Yes, my, my sister-in-law's mum actually is a confinement nurse. You can hire a confinement nurse to come to your house, live for a month, and all the confinement does a job is to look after you, cook all your food, wash all your clothes, and look after the baby. That's her, um, that's her um, job. So we also have confinement clinics where you checked in into a, a hotel, a clinic, where you will be there with your baby um, for 30 days, where the clinic would look after all your well-being uh, and also take the baby so that you can have a rest. Uh, so it's kind of like a holiday, but wow. you're involved and you can't go out. Uh, the reason being that you can't wash your hair, you can't go out. And if, well, it makes sense when actually, if you talk like this, uh, how my mom explains to me is when someone gives birth, your energy into giving birth will be expelled from you. You will take most of your body's energy to push that baby out to have to give birth, regardless yeah. whether it's a natural or, or cesarean. Um, most of your energy is going into that. So your body will be at the weakest. When your body's at the weakest, it's basically, they call it like it's... Um, uh, you need something to balance your 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 well-being. So if you go out and the wind kind of seep into your bones, because then you're more susceptible in getting ill, uh, your immune system is low. Uh, therefore, the wind and washing hair and all those kind of like uh, wind, they call it wind, will seep through your bones and make you ill. And this will have a long-term uh, effect on your well-being. So traditionally, um, after a woman gives birth, she's not allowed to wash her hair for 30 days. Can you imagine that? No. Well, though, <laughs> being a busy mum, you sometimes forget to wash your hair, but not for 30 days. That's a bit crazy. <laughs> the first thing I did after having Alexa was having a shower the next day as soon as I could. It was like, my mum was like, you were not allowed to do that in the olden days. Um, and my best friend didn't do it as well, although she had the confinements, an army of people helping her. Well, I didn't. I was abroad. My mom flew in two weeks after I gave birth to Alexa because we did it on purpose. We wanted some time on our own before my mother arrives. And I was really excited. It was her first time traveling 6,000 6, miles across the globe to come and help me, to come and look after me. And I, I feel... You know, really terrible that she's never been to a cold country before, and it was minus four when she arrives. Oh dear! And um, and yet, my 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 husband remembers the house has never been so clean. Uh, the food was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there are when you say, "Is there certain foods?" That's kind of like one of the ritual that you you, you can't you know you you can't go out, you can't uh, wash your hair, and you asked about this different kind of food. So when your body is in that kind of state, um, state they call it leong. Leong means 
uh, a cooling. Your, your body is in a cool state. You need to bring it back to heat again. You need to, the balance of heat and, and coolness, it needs to be 50-50 for your body to actually work perfectly, Chinese believe. So when you give birth, your body is in the, in the high of uh, cool. So you need to balance that uh, thing. So you need to he- eat heaty foods. Mm-hmm. So a lot of ginger is used to give you back, to expel the air, they call it, expel the wind, bring your body heat back up and balance your kind of like chi, they call it. So a lot of confinement foods uh, has ginger. So ginger, sesame oil is one of the main ingredients in all the dishes that we uh, have. So ginger and chicken fried rice, which I love, uh, a sesame clay pot chicken with uh, uh, loads of sesame oil and caramelized uh, ginger in it and braised in soya sauce, that kind of thing. Uh, and when I had Alexa, I had caesarean, so my milk wasn't forthcoming. Um, I had really hard time um, crying on the phone and in the middle of the night, uh, not she was crying and screaming because she was hungry. And, and when my mom arrived, she brought me these amazing uh, dates, Chinese dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called uh, like jujube. Is that how you pronounce them? They're red dates uh, of certain kinds. And she bought me three types, which she made this drink for me. Basically, it's a date tea no tea leaves in it just literally these lovely dehydrated dates that are so sweet that she boils into water in water and made it into a date drink mm-hmm. and chinese people who are listening to to this they will know what i mean about those dates and it's just you can buy them in a chinese supermarket oriental supermarket in chinatown um but th- she good she got this specific dates um and she boiled it into water for me and she made me drink it three times a day uh and i tell you i i have never felt so rejuvenated uh it was hydrating it was sweet so and my breastfeeding was uh was really um easy after that um and that date drink i still remember it being so warming because she would serve it to me warm so she would bring me this date thing three times a day which i was made to to drink it and i still craves it i've run out of the dates but it's very um rehydrating and uh warming and everything else so so there is certain foods that um we eat to help your body get back into its uh, its healthy state, I would say, uh, a balanced state as soon as possible. That's so amazing. I mean, the level of wisdom and intuition that goes into all of this is just incredible. I mean, in the West, we have lost touch with all of that. Uh, yeah. And if you think about the dishes that you've described, you know, there's lots of sesame, which is the healthiest kinds of um, oil that obviously helps with milk production. There's ginger that's just the best kind of anti-inflammatory elements that it's just good overall. I mean, I personally turn to Asian style food whenever I'm feeling run down, you know, if there's a cold coming on or I'm just feeling a bit, you know, just need something really warming and nourishing. I immediately think of sesame and ginger and soy. These three elements, they never fail to lift me up. And it's so beautiful to hear that, in your personal experience, um, your family has preserved these traditions and that it really does help. It really does make sense. But I do wonder, um, in terms of mental health, you know, how now there's so much awareness around confinement and mental health. And especially in the early days as a young mother, you know, it can be a very uncertain time and a bit of a scary time. So maybe, you know, for someone going out is a good way to keep their mental health in check rather than staying in. But as you rightly say, you know, as modern mothers, you don't always have the option of staying indoors for 30 days, whether you want it or not. So it's definitely something we can adjust to. Something on there about mental health. And I think, you know, staying indoors are essential and there is not much distraction. You don't have work to go to, but it doesn't work for modern life. And I think you have to take what works for you and, uh, and make that work. So the food bit is is probably the easiest part to mm-hmm. to, to do. Whereas the not having 
and shower for 30 days um, is probably not. So I guess for people who want to take the good bits out and make it work for their lifestyle, I think, you know, it's better to do a little bit than none, none at all. Yes, absolutely. The other thing that's really interesting about your story is that um, you have two girls um, and you had one of them when you were still working in your kind of in your previous life as a non-chef and you know in a non-food related world and then your second girl Luna was born when you were already after MasterChef and mm-hmm. um, starting a new career in food which was going you know it was just kind of peaking you've had your new cookbook um, and then you had your second girl could you talk a little bit about how different careers um, worked for you in terms of motherhood and in terms of pregnancy? When I was pregnant with Alexa, because I was employed, it didn't really occur to me, uh, you know, kind of like trying to start out this career in food because then I didn't have this ambition to do uh, um, food. Um, For me, when I was pregnant for Alexa, it was quite relaxing in a way that I... I know that I was going to go on maternity, I would have my maternity pay, and when I'm ready to go back to work, I would, assuming that they will give me a job part-time, that was simple. It was a simple formula, which I think it will work out. Obviously, it didn't work out like that. That's why I joined MasterChef. So it was like, it all got planned out. Get um, Was pregnant, uh, maternity, go back to work when I'm ready. It was Life was kind of simple, but when I have Luna, when I first got pregnant with Luna, I'm ashamed to say that my first um, reaction wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going to have a second baby. Yay. I was like, oh God, I, my career was just peaking and I had so many ambitions, so many plans to do. I was having the time of my life traveling with work and I did so many travels and get to do so many amazing things. I was just coming out of like Alexa able to actually, you know, kind of not look after herself, but doesn't need that much attention anymore. I was ready to take my career forward. And then I was pregnant with Luna and that actually really scares me. I have spent many months being a little bit depressed about it. Of course I'm joy. I, 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 uh, I also had, difficulties with her so I um was uh I was diagnosed um uh possible miscarriage um I was abroad when I I was in Malaysia when I found out I was pregnant um and um I was look uh, going to the consultant every week because I I mean it's hard enough you know that your pregnancy has some problem at home. It's worse yeah. when you know that there you have some problems abroad. Um, and in Malaysia, I don't have any family doctor, anyone that knows my history. I was just going to a consultant that is recommended by my best friend. Um, and she was giving me weekly uh, injections uh, to keep the pregnancy, basically, to, to keep it safe. So that was quite stressful, along with... I'm not sure what in my career yeah. <laughs> um, because I spent months kind of feeling sorry for myself. I didn't know what I'm going to do. You know, while I was pregnant with Luna, I could still do my work. I could still travel a bit. I remember doing this charity dinner whom someone has paid a lot of money for a private dinner in London. I was seven months pregnant. I was doing this and I was like, I'm loving what I do what we're going to do in the next few months. I was worrying all throughout my pregnancy with Luna. And uh, I looked down at my feet and I've been standing for 16 hours preparing for this meal and hoping that my leg, my feet, my ankle has swollen up to like an elephant size. Oh God. And I thought, oh my God, I can't do this any longer. I can't really stand up any longer. Uh, and I've stopped a lot of like cooking jobs because, I just physically can't do it. But most importantly, mentally, that I knew I was self-employed. I was working. It was it was hard, actually. Um, then I had her and one look at her and I was like, oh, I'm in love. But that kind of underlying worry was still there. Mm-hmm. I didn't 
come out of that until I decided to uh, do the supper club um, because it got me into cooking again. Not only it got me into cooking, it got me into organizing everything else. So I did everything myself. I did um, the, uh, the organizing, the ticket selling, the marketing, the cooking, the buying, the everything was done by me. And I felt alive. I ran the first one, didn't know how it was going to go. And I thought, you know what, this is what I love doing. Um, and that really kind of, it was an excuse for me to get back into cooking, to get out of this rut that I've been feeling for like 18 months of like, I don't know where my career is going. Um, there's a lot, as you know, uh, we have a lot of food um, really um food people around so you are um you know if there is a, a food writing or things like that you're competing with all these people for that that piece of work or so it was challenging enough mm -hmm. as food uh to have a career in food nowadays um so it was definitely mentally i think it really did affect me but i didn't spend too much time in thinking yeah is it is it mentally affecting me so much i can't really climb out of that hole um but that deciding to run a supper club uh and get back into cooking and be a little bit more kind of proactive at the time when you were pregnant um you had lots of things going on in your life in terms of um yeah like doing private cooking your cookbook you also had a restaurant in selfridges yeah, I did also have that. I, I had uh, one in Debenhams uh, that was... Yeah. In, uh, oh, in, in Debenhams, yeah. Yeah, we started one in Debenhams uh, uh, and that was ongoing. Um, and uh, I had a cookbook out. I had um, I wanted to start looking at different kind of restaurant sites, uh, writing a new cookbook. I have so many plans. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes you, it's just it just doesn't it's not destined to be yours or it's it you not know having yet not just yet but you know it's not impossible you just re rethink of mm -hmm. what or rethink what you want to do and it changes with me all the time uh, andrew my husband said you change your mind all the time one time you want to do this another thing you want to do that um but I love what I do and I don't want to lose that. So in times like this, especially um, when it first happened, I panicked and I thought, I just got myself into this supper club and I love doing them and it's gaining momentum. And we've launched a cookery school, um, the Malaysian cookery school, and it was going well. It's also gaining momentum and this hits. And I say, along with other businesses, I'll probably go, oh God, I'm self-employed. And if this doesn't happen, so what are we going to live on? That kind of thing. But as time goes by, you kind of reevaluate what you can offer with what you have. Um, and I think that really kind of like, um, it's quite a valuable lesson to learn that it's not just one road you can go down. You can go down a lot of different routes. And all, you, all I need to do is to be brave enough to actually take that step. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting as women, we are... You know, if we talk about energy in general, um, you know, feminine energy is a lot more fluid and it's very adaptable. And I think as mothers, especially, you know, as you've shared so beautifully that it was a challenge having your second child, which was, didn't really work, you know, the way you wanted it to work with your career at the time, yet you found a way to adapt to that and you started something new and it was going really well. And for me, it was a very similar experience as my pregnancy was unplanned. And I also felt like I'm on the, you know, just getting to the top of my game and I got a new cookbook deal and it was all yeah. kind of a, a dream come true. And then suddenly all these, um, the news of my pregnancy came out, which was a bit of a shock. And yet I've managed to, you know, adapt to that. And now we're all facing with this ultimate unprecedented experience of the pandemic and how it's affecting the whole world. But I feel like us as women, because we've had that experience, we're almost a little bit better kind of suited for dealing with these uncertain times. Yeah. I find that it helps me for sure. 
I think also to, by talking about it and also um, looking at what other people has uh, done really helps as well because it inspires me to actually, yes, I can do that as well. I can offer this and, you know, um, by speaking to other like uh, women businesses. And uh, the one thing that I, I, I learned throughout is I'm not afraid in asking for help. Um, so if I could... Uh, and one very wise friend say to me, the worst thing you can get is no. And that is, that's it. That is it. You know, you don't ask, you don't get. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I don't get an answer. It's absolutely fine. But sometimes I gain more than what I set out to, to ask. So my mission is to ask more, to ask for help or to ask even like a chat to say, you know, how do you do this? Or, um, you know, what do you think about that? And, and I think, I think that really helps me, um, in getting through this kind of, um, I guess pandemic, I don't know what to say. Mm. I think this pandemic, of course, when it comes around, it was really negative, but I can see, positive into that as well it really ignites people's creativity um that things are possible it's just needed that kind of push to push you into doing that because your life depends on it mm. so what how do you keep your creativity alive at the moment well remember the second cookbook that i wanted to write <laughs> perfect <was> yes <laughs> So every time I do dinners now, I have a pen and paper next to me. I never measure anything um, when I'm cooking. It's really hard. Um, so I have a pen and paper next to me and I try to capture what I cook because normally I, I cook whatever I have in the fridge or, you know, and I think, oh, that's really nice. And then I forget about it the next couple of days and I don't know what that dish is anymore um so I'm capturing it pen and paper um I'm learning new skills yesterday I took a dumpling class uh, I want to brush up my dumpling skills I'm just learning from other people who's done it better than me I guess um and and that really helps me it really helps my creativity and the more I do the more I am um, uh thinking well I'm thinking of starting a little delivery service uh, here uh, just for my village and said that do you want Ping's curry Fridays you know things oh gosh oh, I'd love that <laughs> so it's I'm learning lots I've never done a Instagram live before <laughs> I did it uh, which is fine um, so I'm stepping it allows me to step out of my comfort zone a lot during this time which I think you know, a lot of people are doing, it's not just me, it just push you to uh, that bit further. And I think I'm really enjoying the time that I could do that. I could do it. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's, yeah, it's so wonderful to hear you talk about it. And you can hear the excitement in your voice. And it's just so lovely. Um, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about your daughters and how you're cultivating their attitude to food you did mention before that um alexa is already helping you in the kitchen um is luna part of the cooking experience as well what's what's her relationship to food at the moment she is master chaotic that one um, she, <laughs> and she kind of like a like a tornado and make everything kind of like um chaotic um so she is starting to show a bit of interest every time i cook she she gets her little stool next to me and she goes mommy 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 mini mouse which is her mini mouse apron and then she wants her hat on um and then she's just playing with food really it doesn't need to be always cooking she can play with like the off cuts or things like that to get them used to what mommy is cooking or what i'm doing with uh alexa and alexa is more and more into it the problem is she's a little smarty pants at times so she's like oh i know this i know this like i asked her we we do every friday since the lockdown a zoom home at class with her classmates so i host it that's lovely so, 
Yeah, I've been doing this and send them the link and get them the ingredients. So I focus on something really simple. Uh, so I send them a week before and I say, look, next week we're going to make this. Make sure that you've got these ingredients. If not, these are the alternatives. Uh, we have since made a hummus. We make flatbreads. We have made pesto. And this week, and banana cake. And this week we are making... Um, as they get used to it, we're making omelettes, which I... Uh, think is a life skills to learn how to make an omelet and um, and they can have any toppings they want and the idea is they make the whole thing themselves from cracking eggs from doing that no help from mummies at all uh, or daddies uh, so they're doing this so she's you know she's learning and she's interested as well oh that's incredible it sounds like something that's I'm sure lots of families that are outside of your daughter's school would love to do. So maybe it's <laughs> paying yeah, cooking classes people, for children. Yeah, a lot of people ask, can you open it up for someone? Yes. Who's, as I, I can't manage them all because with Zoom, you can have manage it for like, I don't mind hosting it, but then everybody started to ask questions and everybody started as like, oh my God, have you heard a bunch of children trying to, oh, got one child is overwhelming. Enough, yeah. children's like oh my god it's a bit overwhelming uh, <laughs> a thing that I learned about uh, cooking with kids as well and a chef has told me before a friend of mine said when you cook with your child or children you shouldn't clean up around them you should make let them make the mess because cooking is messy sometimes and you should let them make the mess so that they don't associate you cleaning and triding around them, that they are making the mess and then they're causing you trouble. So that um, let them be creative and do it however they want and then clean up the mess afterwards together so that they don't associate you cleaning up and trying to tell them off by making mess so that they are more enthusiastic in cooking. That has to be the wisest advice. I've heard <laughs> because I really struggle with the mess. Um, I mean, my daughter is still too young to cook with me, but um, you know, when she eats or when I'm cooking and she wants to like, you know, grab ingredients and throw things around, I really struggle with letting her do the mess and keep it there. I start cleaning straight away and yeah. hearing you say that now is that's a real light bulb moment for me. Because um, I now think back the time where I do go into the kitchen and see my mum and say, oh, can I help you with certain things? And then she will start cleaning up and go, oh, you know, um, you know, try to keep it tidy. Or uh, It really puts me off. It's like, oh, I don't want to go in next time, you know, because That's she so always I mess up her kitchen or whatever it is. So now I think back when he told me that and I thought, oh, okay. So, and I made Alexa now when, when, um, your daughter is old enough. I made her clean up. You know, I made her even like put the dishes away um, so that she knows cooking is not just about cooking and having fun. You have to clean up as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, how are they eating? You know, were they obviously, you know, Alexa is seven now? Or? Yeah. yeah. So she is past the weaning stages um, and Luna is just kind of coming out of the weaning um how how are their eating habits were they easy to um introduce to food are they keen eaters or did you have any struggles on the way i'm very lucky with the two of them they are uh very adventurous more, more adventurous than people i have come across uh they do have their fussy moments but i introduced like alexa when she was weaning uh at five months uh and the first week I did purees, the second or third week I went into congee, which is broken down rice cooked with stock straight away. And people say, oh, no, no, no. You know, my, my nephew who is year two or two years old, three years old, still eating congee at that point. I was like, she's onto rice before she's one, you know. So mm -hmm. I tried to push the boundaries a little bit and... Like any other children, should they still have their sweet treats? They still have their, you know, junk food? Because that's how I was brought up. And I was fine. Sometimes you just need to, you know, kind of give them things to try um, so that they know that they can try most things. And our mantra in this household is, 
try something at least once. And if you don't like it, it's fine. But if you tell me you don't like it even before you try it, that's not acceptable. That's um, a great approach. So what was the one dish that is just perfect for your family that is easy for you to make and that everyone loves? Uh, it would be the, uh, there's quite a few, but the one dish that actually is requested most is uh, my mum's Hakka noodles, which is really simple. It's a, fi- it's a pork mince cooked with fish sauce and, um, and coriander and then dressed in garlicky noodles. And that get requested time and time again. And this has a beautiful story because my mum used to cook me this dish almost every morning for breakfast and it's called Hakka noodles is because my grandmother is from uh, is uh, Hakka which is um a village um a set i guess a chinese um kind of area in china where the Hakka people has very amazing ways of cooking pork the Hakka people is um is said to be the dandelion because wherever they go, they they emigrate from China to a lot of countries in the world and they will survive and thrive there. They they are known to be dandelions. So in the Hakka cooking, there's a lot of pork involved. So my mom has taken this because we live with my grandmother, um, taken the Hakka people pork mince and then make it into noodles. And it's amazing. It's very flavorful easy to put together and she would make me this every morning for breakfast almost uh and i'll jump into the car i get up at seven i need to be at school at seven thirty. i would jump into the car with my uniform and she will hand me this plate of noodles while she drives me to school at full speed <laughs> that's a beautiful story and i love that you know we started <laughs> talking about your family you know the way you grew up and then we end it with this story because obviously it's such a big part of your life and it's beautiful that you managed to translate it into your family now. Ping, thank you so much for talking to me. It was absolute pleasure. Oh, and great. It was great to talk about my family and my food with you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, Please don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. I would love to know what you think of Mother Food, so please rate and leave a review. You can find me on Instagram at Elisa Timoshkina and do visit my website, elisatimoshkina.com, for show notes and recipes featured on this podcast. Okay.